Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. And this series called Demon Hunter is, of course, not that we're actually, you know, Van Helsing and getting crossbows after service or anything, but... It's for us to, to understand, even though it's, it may seem like an exaggerated series title, it's for us to really get a grasp of our role in this world and the reality of the spiritual world and, and what that exchange is like between us. And today, we're in part two of this series, and the, our subtitle is, I wanted to, but... Look at your neighbor and say, I wanted to, but... I wanted to, but... Yeah. And that's B-U-T, not B-U-T-T. And I feel like in the Christian walk, that's our number one saying. Well, I wanted to, but... Did you make it to your church? Oh, I wanted to, but... Uh, oh, did you get to read your Bible readings? I wanted to, but... Right? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking... I'm, this isn't like an indirect slam to anyone. That's me too, all right? It's, it's like... Did, uh, every, everything goes down to I wanted to, but... And even with good things, you know, um, even just like for our church, did, did you ever plant that church? Well, we wanted to, but did, did it all work out? Well, we wanted it to, but it's, there's always a big but in what we wanted. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And I wanted to, I wanted to read y'all this, this section out of the book of Acts because I think it's the epitome of what it looks like in our our walk with God because we have so many we have so many moments where even just in our Christian walk we're trying to do something good but and starting off in chapter 19 this is Paul's third missionary journey starting in verse 11 it says God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles with handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people and they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews that traveling was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantations saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, someone say, but one time. When they tried it, the evil spirit replied. How many of y'all had devil talk to you before? (laughs) The evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And I imagine he said it like in a really creepy way, you know, because he's a demon. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. So that didn't go according to their plan. <laughs> that didn't work out too well. But what's, what's so interesting about this story is these guys were just using the name of Jesus. And up to this point, it was seemingly successful. I mean, right after this section, it talks about how Paul shows up and all of this town, uh, all of this city ends up 
coming to Jesus to where they burned all of their witchcraft books and all of their spells and, and said that the, the, the book burning of these evil books or whatever of, um, of, wit, of spells and witchcraft was like millions of dollars, but they, were, they saw that the name of Jesus was so much more powerful. And so it shows that this, this point, these guys going around, they literally um, were just using the name of Jesus and it was more powerful than all the spells and, and witchcrafts and Oho bracelets that they had before. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And even just with the name of Jesus, there's so much power in that name that demons flee. And miracles still happen with people who care nothing about the one who that name belongs to. And if we were to really take this, this seriously, if we were to just believe that just in the name of Jesus, there's power at our grasp. That, let me read you all another verse um, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Now this is Jesus um, talking about the implications of using that name only. And it said, he says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And see, the reason I want to share that verse is to show us two big things. One, it's not at all about how good of Christians or how, uh, how many things we can do for God that makes it meaningful. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. But two, that just in the power of his name, there's... There's an, it doesn't matter what kind of confidence you have in yourself. It doesn't matter if you feel guilty, if you feel shameful, if you feel like, well, why would God want to answer my prayers? Just the name of Jesus has authority. Y'all follow what I'm saying? I mean, if we're, if we're all to just band up together and say, hey, let's, let's just remake that movie Constantine real life. Let's just go from house to house trying to find demons to cast out. Let's, let's take this Demon Hunter series seriously. And we went around with just in the name of Jesus. This story is showing that even just in that name, that we would be able to have so much confidence in doing that. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Some of you are like, this is, so we are going to do that? Or, <laughs> are we really going to get those crossbows? And so... Now, the question is, that leaves us from the story is, well, with the name of Jesus, how come this demon didn't just listen to the name? How come this, this situation, these sons of Sceva, they was working up to this point, and all of a sudden, you know, I don't think any of us would want that to happen, right? Where we get all this, like, big spiritual high, and like, let's go cast out demons, and then a demon starts talking to us. Like, that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> that would be kind of trippy. Especially if the demon started attacking us with the supernatural strength and beat us naked and kicked us out of the house. That'd be embarrassing. Um, but what, what is it that, that stopped at this point? What was their but? I wanted to cast out that demon, but... And it's the blood of Jesus. Often, we get focused on the name of Jesus that we don't see clearly 
what the blood of Jesus represents. Think about the worst Christian you know. <laughs> like, he's preaching right now. <laughs> That's a joke, right? <laughs> the Think of the, I mean, how many Christians have given Christianity a bad rap? A lot, right? We've probably given it a bad rap at some point. But see, holding the name of Jesus and being covered in the blood of Jesus is something, two different, very different things. And see, when you meet somebody that's a genuine believer, and you can tell that there's just something different about them. You don't know what I'm saying? There's some Christians you meet, and the whole time you're just like, please stop talking. Like, I can't wait to get in my car to leave this situation. And then there's other Christians that you meet, and you're like, man, I just feel something different about them. Y'all know what I'm saying? And that's what, that's what the difference is of just carrying the name of Jesus and being covered in the blood of Jesus. There's a, such a distinct difference in, in personhood and character, even the, the presence and vibes that they give off. And the blood of Jesus is what the sons of Sceva did not have. They weren't covered in his blood. And so the authority we have in the name compared to the protection and covering we have while being covered in the blood of Christ is, is something so much farther beyond just the name. And I want to read y'all, I want to give y'all some verses just back up to give better expound on this idea of what it is to be covered and how important the blood of Jesus is. In Hebrews 10.19 it says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. In Revelation 7, 14, it says, and I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. Talking about how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Hebrews 9.14 Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. All of these verses are expounding all of the emphasis on the blood of Christ. And finally, Revelation 12, 11 says, And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. This verse, I think, is the best, um, the best expounding on what we're talking about. Because it says that they, they defeated the devil, that they defeated this world by two things. The blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And... The word of their testimonies, their, their authority in Christ, that what they said, what they did, and the blood of the Lamb is that covering, that, that true power that washes away our sins and make, makes us new. That there's, no, there's nothing for us without the blood of Jesus. And when we look at the, 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 the prophetic sense of it all the way back in the Old Testament, Jesus is described as the, the Lamb of God. 
for what it's talking about, it, the reason it's called, he's called the Lamb of God is because it's a representation of Passover when Israel was given victory over Egypt, when they were liberated from their bondage. And what they did at Passover was they got the firstborn lamb and it was slaughtered as a sacrifice for the firstborn to be slaughtered instead of their firstborn as a representation and the blood of the lamb was was put on the doorpost of their house. And when the angel of death would go by, it skipped their home when it saw the blood because they were protected. See, for us, the cross is an inverted doorpost. Imagine the, revert, the reverse of a, of a doorpost. It's a cross. And so Jesus made this inverted doorpost to make it so incredibly inclusive to the world where his blood washes over it so that death and the, the power of hell and sin has no hold on us because we're protected by that blood. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And, and so it's, we have to understand that the power of Jesus' blood goes beyond our consciences. It goes beyond how we feel that day. And I remember a moment that when me and my wife were dating and she had just left, um, she had just left and she called me right away and said, hey, I just left, I'm, I'm literally down the road Can't, and I got a flat tire. I said, okay, so you just, you just left? You're like, yeah, She's, I'm right here, I'm down the road. And I said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just start walking there to change your tire. And so I started walking, and I kept walking and walking and walking. I was like, this is not down the road. It was all hot. I was not, like, properly dressed. I thought she was literally right there. And she ended up being, like, down the road, like, far. <laughs> like, I needed a, a car to go there. <laughs> and so she's, all of a sudden she said, hey, my friend just pulled up. Such a weird coincidence where are you? <laughs> she, it, and I said, well, I'm walking down the road. Why are you walking? <laughs> and so she ended up coming in to pick me up, to take me to her car. And I was so irritated at this point. I was also young and dumb, so I shouldn't have been so mad. But, you know, a 19-year-old, you think that you know everything and that she should have told me and better explained it. So it's her fault. So I was all mad in my head for no reason. And I, I felt even embarrassed because... This is her friend that she hasn't seen in a long time. And she, she, in the car ride, she just got done talking me up. Like, yeah, I'm dating this amazing man of God. And she, you know, she's just like talking me to be this great person. And when she picked me up, I was so irritated and in a bad mood. I was like, hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> and I, I, I remember sitting in the car thinking like, man, I feel bad for this poor girl because... Now I look like just some deadbeat or something, whatever. So I changed the tire and I didn't even apologize or anything. And then Lauren told me later that her friend was like, man, when he got in the car, I just felt like such a sweet like presence. It's like, he, it's like she was describing like this surreal feeling. I was like, that wasn't me. <laughs> I know that that wasn't me. But see, even when we don't feel like it, the blood of Jesus causes us to be carriers of his presence. That's why... Even in my bad mood, people are like, man, there's just something different about him. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with the blood of Christ. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so us understanding how powerful the blood is, I want us to look at, I want us to go to our next idea. And that's, that's the confidence that we need. 
it, uh, the understanding that we, that we need, that we need to pray. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 through 18, Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again. But Satan prevented us. See, this, this verse is like one of those secret like ninja nuggets. And what, what is so amazing about this verse is that Paul is not super spiritual. He just doesn't make things up or try to exaggerate. And he says, but Satan prevented us. Think about that. Paul's literally saying that Satan prevented them from going to visit. That Paul had a calling to go and pastor these people, to go and speak to them and be a blessing to them. But Satan prevented him from getting there. Now, if we were to look at it both sides, Satan succeeded against Paul. Paul's pretty, pretty legit, right? Satan succeeded in preventing him to answer his calling, to do something that he wanted to do, and that was God's will. And on the other side for those people, Satan prevented them from receiving a great blessing for Paul to come and speak to them again. That's a blessing. And so what's, what's crazy about this verse is that it, it shows us that Satan is at work against us for even simple things. Y'all know me. I don't like to give the devil credit more than he deserves. He doesn't really deserve any credit, but I don't like to just make up things that give him false glory. But here this verse is saying that he succeeds in preventing us from our callings, from blessings, from, from things that we desire, that Satan succeeds in preventing that. And so it shows us that we literally have to fight for those things. That we have to fight for blessings. That we have to fight even for our calling. You know, it makes me even think about like a ministry standpoint. Like for even just for our church. There's so many moments where, where in prayer, I'm praying for our, for our church, for the people of our church, for you guys. And there's a part where even like praying for the growth of the church. And I get all of a sudden a doubt in my mind that says, you shouldn't pray for that. How selfish of you to, to pray for, for the growth of your church. It, isn't that weird how we get thoughts like that? that like these, these manipulated guilt thoughts? And this verse helped me realize, why would I feel God about praying for the kingdom of God to advance? But see how crafty and manipulative the devil is that he would convince you that a selfless thought is actually a selfish one. See, that's a perfect example of an abusive relationship. If you've ever known somebody or been in an abusive relationship yourself before, what happens, what's a major red flag, is if the other person makes you feel bad for something that you didn't even do wrong. Y'all dig what I'm saying? They make you feel guilty when you didn't even do anything wrong. And see, even as we're trying to pray for something good, we feel guilty for it. See, that's, that's the devil just trying to manipulate us, whispering in us, in our ears. And 
this verse makes it so clear that there's a giant need of us to pray. A giant need for us to pray for our families, for our church, for our city. Because if not, it's going to just be another story of, well, we wanted to, but the devil prevented us. See, that's really what that but is. It's but the devil prevented us. Well, I wanted to pray for the church, but the devil made me think I was being selfish. I, I wanted to pray for my family and for, for us to not always be behind on our bills and not to struggle, but I, the devil convinced me that that was a selfish prayer. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And if we were to take the blood of Jesus for what it is, and know that we are covered by that blood and, and, and understand that the name of Jesus is great enough for that when we pray, things happen. Have you ever been surprised by answer prayers? You notice that it's the ones that you don't really care about. It's like the ones that you didn't even really think about. You just said it like you just prayed it to pray it and you never thought about it again. And it's like, those are the ones that answered. But why is it that the prayers that we're like spending all this time on that we really, really want to get answered, don't get answered? Would you agree with me in the thought that we usually doubt those prayers the most because of how bad we want them to be answered? That not, not that the answer of prayers is dependent on our doubt or faith, but it's usually those prayers too that we make these weird shifty prayers to where instead of praying for it to be done, we're like, I mean, if it's at all, you know, possible, God, in your will, let it be done. Like, it, if not, it's okay, but I really want this to happen. It's like we, we start to trying to convince the prayer to happen rather than commanding it to be happen. Y'all dig what I mean? And so I want us to, to end on this, this last note. We talked about how truly powerful the name of Jesus is. And how much more powerful the blood of Jesus. And we just got done realizing that the devil is preventing. He's the big but in our situations. That but that is stopping us from getting what we really want. And so I want to finish with this, this final thought. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, We pleaded with you encouraged you and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy for he's called you to share in his kingdoms and glory. Now, we usually don't hear that last part because we feel way too guilty to finish the paragraph, right? We stop at live a life that is truly worthy and we're like, well, I'm not doing that. And so we don't even really cognitively receive the rest of the verse because the end of that verse says he's called you to share in his kingdom and glory but we can't believe that because we feel too guilty if we're not living a life that's worthy right that's why we don't really pray like we believe we're going to receive it because we think we doubt and think well i'm not really worthy to receive it right and I want you to first think of a thought, what does a living a life that's worthy look like to you? Would you agree that it might look different for each individual? There's probably some underlying tones that would like, you know, that would go throughout everybody. But 
if we were to get really personal and to make this real application, it would look different for every person here. I think some, some major tones to take away from me that looks like for living a life that's worthy. The first thing I go to in my head, because I recognize how uh, unholy I am. Anyone else? You're like, yeah, we recognize how unholy you are, Homer. Yes. <laughs> All of us here. And so when I think of living a life that's worthy, I think of integrity and holiness. Simply, when I say something really trying to behave like I meant it. And pure and obedient. And that word obedient sounds so ugly to me. But ob- obedience isn't like, you better. Don't do that. Do this. You better. But simple, pure obedience, it's best seen with like the favorite kid (laughs) and the parent. Because whenever they say, hey, can you go do this, sweetheart? You're like, yeah, of course. I'd love to. (laughs) Because all of us have kids like that. (laughs) But and see what what makes it pleasing is because when you're told when you tell your kid to do something, it's for if not their benefit, but the benefit of the whole family. And see, when God tells us to do something, it's not to just control us, it's not to regulate us, but it's truly for our benefit and the benefit of the kingdom. That's what pure obedience looks like. Some other things I think about is fruitful and helpful. To where whatever I do in, in life or whatever I do in, for the kingdom, that it, there's fruit to it. Sweet fruit, not bitter fruit. That when I leave a, a social gathering, people, people miss me. It's like there's fruitful conversation. It felt good. Y'all dig what I'm saying? That I'm not leaving a bad taste in everybody's mouth. They're like, well. <laughs> that, and helpful. That when, if I would be driving on the road, I would imagine living a life is worthy. If I saw somebody that needed help, that there'd be something in me that would, com- that would be compelling. Say, oh, you, you have some time. Why don't you help them? Y'all dig what I'm saying? Or if I have uh, someone at church that needs help moving or something like that, like all you guys helped us so much when we moved, like being helpful with each other. Y'all dig what I mean? And then finally, some other thoughts I had being happy and content. Now that that word happy, doesn't it seem so elusive to us? It seems like there's part of us that's always chasing happiness, but never really arriving there. And for some strange reason, we feel like we're not allowed to be happy. That there's almost moments where you get a glimpse of happiness and you feel guilty for it. Why is that? Wouldn't that look like a worthy life that you could be content within yourself, that you could be happy? Do you think that your father would want you to be happy? A father that loved you, that cared about you? But... See, there's something that stops us from really believing that we're living a, a life that's worthy. See, some of those things, we're like, well, I, I, I do do my best to do those things. I, I do, you know, I could always improve. Every human being could always improve, right? And so if we're, if we're trying to, like, walk along that, that, that path, and we're really trying to be that kind of good person, and all of us... I think all of us really are trying to give us a portion of our best in our Christian walk. 
So why do we feel so incredibly unworthy? Why do we feel so guilty? Why do we constantly doubt that God is proud of us? And I shared a little bit about this in our Bible study, but I want you to think about, see, what we're lacking is a confidence of God's word. When God says he loves us, there's a, there's a doubt of confidence. There's a lack of confidence in us in believing that. And he says, I want to share with you my kingdom and glory. We, we just think that means other people, not us. And I want you to imagine... God through the lens without sin. Because we, we look at God through our sinfulness, right? We look at him immediately as the redeemer. That he loved us when we, we did everything wrong. We look at the scope of kindness and love through the cross. Which we should. But let's, let's look at God's nature independent of sin. Let's imagine if we were like Adam and Eve before the fall of man, before sin. When they walked in the garden, they were in such close fellowship and relationship with God. And they had no sin. And I want you to just take a moment, even if you have to close your eyes and think about how would your walk with God look like if you didn't have to worry about sin? What would your walk with God, your relationship with Him look like if you did not need to be forgiven, if you were sinless. And I want you to even be practical in your life today. Don't imagine yourself in heaven and eternal bliss, just in the real world, but without sin. What would that relationship with God look like? And for me... I feel like I would be so confident in my purpose and calling. Because God's told me a purpose and calling, but I constantly doubt it because of my sinfulness. Well, God, why would you really call me to do that when I suck? I'm so messed up. Why would you use me? But if I was sinless, I'd be so confident. Like, oh yeah, he would use me. I didn't do anything wrong. Why wouldn't he use me, right? See, I would have no reservation in believing God to provide and protect me. Why wouldn't he want to provide for me? I'm his son. Why wouldn't he want to protect me? I didn't do anything wrong. We'd have no reservation in believing that. And I would, I would truly dwell in God's presence. I'd be able to enjoy it so much more because I wouldn't feel the need to earn my right to be there. I wouldn't feel the need to earn God's love or to earn that time. I wouldn't feel like I had to do something before I prayed. I wouldn't feel like I had to do something right or good to spend time with God. Well, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I wouldn't feel so guilty. I would just be able to go and stay with God and dwell in his presence because I feel good with him there. I would be without reserve because I know 
that he would want to spend time with me too. Because I didn't do anything wrong. Why wouldn't he want to spend time with me? Why wouldn't he be proud of me? Why wouldn't he want to just love me? You see, when we imagine ourselves sinless like that, it's like, oh yeah, I could, I could imagine that. But now when we look at what the beginning we talked about is, how powerful the blood of Jesus is, and that he sees us as sinless. The only problem is, is that we can't see ourselves that way. Even though God does. And so if we were to just truly accept that love, if we were to accept the power of the blood, if we were to just accept that he's forgiven us and that we walk in forgiveness, we wouldn't have to doubt or worry so much that when we pray, we'd really believe it. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And if you're here right now, and maybe you've had such a hard time believing that God would see you that way, the way that we just described, sinless, but that's the way that you want to start living I want you to just, with every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. God, right now, I, I pray for these people that you would give us that vision, that perspective to see ourselves the way that you see us as blameless as worthy, as holy, and that we would see ourselves as truly forgiven because your word says that you choose not to remember our past. Your word says that you choose not to remember our sin. There's verses that you say that you cast our sin out and that that word means obliterate, meaning you literally shatter the existence of our sin to where it's unrepairable to look at again. In another place, you say that you cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, meaning that it's never going to meet at east or west pole. It's always going farther and farther away from us. God, show your people that. Help us to believe that that's the way you see us so that we can really start living a life that's worthy because you've already put us there. The minute that you washed us in your blood, we took such a big step in living in that kind of way. And each of us are in different walks and different journeys. But Lord, you are close and near to us even though we felt like we were distant. So I ask that you comfort your people here today, that you minister to their hearts and their souls, and that Jesus, 
we would not only bear your name, but that we'd be covered in your blood. That we'd be free and liberated. And that we would dwell in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.